Welcome back, one and all, to season two, episode two of the Indo Techno podcast. Salamat berjumpa kembali. Today's guest needs very little introduction. Randy Jusuf is managing director for Google Indonesia. This chat has been many months in the making, and much of this time I spent simply trying to cut down my question list from the many dozens that I began with to a number that won't overwhelm Randy. A true pleasure to have you join us today, Randy. Likewise, Alan. Thank you very much for inviting me. Super excited to be here. Fantastic. Now, Randy, you have spent a large amount of your upbringing overseas for both your tertiary education and much of your professional life. Why did you come back to Indonesia? I would say, why wouldn't I come back to Indonesia, right? I grew up in Indonesia. And other than missing the food and the family, my family members are here. I think the opportunity to come back to the country and then the opportunity to join Google and be part of all this amazing digital transformation is truly something hard to pass up, Alan. In fact, I recall when I first left Indonesia back in the early 90s, there's no internet at that time, only phones to catch up with my friends. But all throughout these times, I was overseas. I was observing all these amazing unicorns shaping up, growing up. So I think the opportunity to come back, eating the amazing food, getting closer with my family, and being part of Google and be part of this amazing digital transformation is something that is very hard for me to pass up. Yeah, it all makes eminent sense. Now, Randy, prior to joining Google, you spent a large amount of your career in consumer goods with the likes of giant Kimberly Clark. How does this background inform your work as head of Google Indonesia today? There are many things, but first and foremost, I would say mission, Alan. For those of you who are not as familiar with Kimberly Clark, Kimberly Clark is one of the paper goods consumer goods company with brands like Kleenex, Huggies diapers, and whatnot. Kimberly Clark has a very earnest goal and mission to lead the world in providing essentials for a better life, whether it's diapers, tissue, or even adult care products for incontinence. My time in Kimberly Clark, which is about more than eight years, really helped form my belief that it's very important for me personally to be part of an organization whose mission is something that I personally believe in and very passionate about. And I guess Google's mission is that as well. Probably most of you already know. Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful and helpful. That is a very worthwhile mission that I am very passionate about. And another thing I would say is around the user and consumer goods centric. A consumer goods company like Kimberly Clark did a lot of research and are very passionate about their customers. And obviously, same thing with Google. Google is all about our users. We put users at the front and center of our product. And we do tons of UX and UI research. So I think there's a lot of similarities on the missions, as well as the relentless focus on user. Alan. I definitely see those commonalities. Now, Randy, what do we see as unique and interesting behaviors amongst Indonesian users in terms of how they use Google search versus users in other Southeast Asian and developing countries? The report that we just released late quarter four about the trends of urine search in Indonesia in 2020. A lot of that with regards to search are tied in with what's happening during this pandemic. There's a lot of search going on, specifically in Indonesia, in relation to employment as well as online-based small businesses. Indonesians are entrepreneurs. I think you would agree. Just to give an example, words that people were searching for include cara menjadi reseller, how to become a reseller. Bagaimana cara membuat hand sanitizer, how to make hand sanitizers. People figuring out how, how to do business, especially in the midst of this, which obviously is a terrible thing that creates a lot of anxiety. So Indonesians are pretty entrepreneurial. Now, with regards to the rest of Southeast Asia, I would say there's a lot of similarities across this market. 
we talk a lot about 3V, which are vernacular, video, and voice. With regards to video search specifically, YouTube scale around April last year reached more than 93 million Indonesian adults in terms of coverage. So that's pretty wide. And we also see that reflected in people searching. So in addition to searching in uh, Google search as text, we do see a lot of people searching through video in YouTube search. So people also search over YouTube search. And people use a lot more YouTube as well to watch things like knowledge videos and stuff like that. And last but not least, with voice, we have Google Assistant. One of the ways that Indonesians use Google Assistant is to connect themselves with loved ones. In fact, in 2019, over a fifth of the Google Assistant users place calls and send texts through voice. A pretty interesting anecdote that I saw is that just in two months in late 2019, Google Assistant has told Indonesian two million jokes. So basically, Indonesians are very visual, whether it's video or even image as well, and they use voice a lot. I hope that gives you a bit of a perspective. Fantastic. So I think we can distill it all down by describing your compatriots as chatty entrepreneurs. <laughs> That's nice. Excellent. So I believe, Randy, you and I first met through the Google for Startups program here in Singapore. You remain deeply involved in Indonesia's startup landscape. Can you share any recent highlights of your involvement in this area? I definitely remember that, Elena. So we are very committed to help and provide promising startups, mentoring networks and whatnot. Let me give you a couple of specific highlights. We've been having this Launchpad Accelerator program, which involves mentoring and networking. And the program has been running since 2016. Up to now, we have about 26 startups. And some of them include Wanguru, Hijab, Circulo, and whatnot. And the more recent ones, late last year, the Google for Startups Southeast Asia Accelerator, we had three from Indonesia out of several startups, which were Relief, Active Aid, and Kata.i. We're also going to have a diverse startup ecosystem that reflects what Indonesia and Southeast Asia is all about. So we have this initiative called Google for Startup Immersion for Women Founders, targeted specifically for women founders across APAC. It is an eight-week program which lasted until November last year. We had two startups from Indonesia there, Gajia and Halosis, as part of that. Last but certainly not least, Alan, gaming is something that is quite exciting. And we have global platforms like Play Store and Android which gives Indonesian game and app developers access to consumers everywhere. One recent example is a company called Niji Games based in Jakarta that joined our indie game accelerator. They have published seven games with more than 1 million downloads each. In fact, their latest game called Umbra Ambulance of Light, one of their hyper-casual games, was a big hit. That's one where we partnered with Telkomsel, one of the Singtel's company, and it is one of the first Indonesian gaming studio that received the Google Play Editor's Choice Batch. So those are some examples. Alan, just a startup in general. Wow, what a wide span of programs. Now, I've noticed that Google has also launched several programs to help various internet verticals recover in the wake of the COVID pandemic. One such initiative offers data and analytics tools to help Indonesia's travel industry recover. Randy, in which industries do you see now the most promising, quote unquote, green shoots of recovery? So I would say specifically on the green shoots, for example, in December, we see a huge interest in places like Bukitinggi in Sumatra in terms of destination. We also see an increase in places like Pakanbaru in some place in Sumatra and whatnot. Obviously, it's quite nascent, some part of recovery here and there with regards to certain part of travel, but it is pretty much still up and down, Alan. We'll have more specific that we can share. Late in January, we'll be launching our annual year in search for brands, where we look at trends in different verticals like tech, media, entertainment, shopping, beauty, personal care, F&B, etc., etc. Check our Indonesia Google blog 
at that time, we can share a bit more about other verticals. I'll very much look forward to seeing that. Now, Randy, we at Indotechno are heavily focused on education as an important input to Indonesia's longer-term success in technology. Google has a wide number of initiatives designed to improve levels of technical training and education in Indonesia. What do you feel to be the highest return and most sustainable initiatives that the private sector can undertake to support the educational system? That's an excellent question and something dear to our heart as Google and to me personally. You're correct. Indonesia has the world's fourth largest education system. We have over 64 million students. We have around 340,000 schools and learning institutions. We have almost 4 million teachers. One often cited perspective from the World Economic Forum. In this new economy, the top three skills that are required would be complex problem-solving skills, critical thinking, and creativity in order for one to be successful going forward. With regards to the private sector specifically, to us, number one, it's very critical for private sector to partner with others, whether it's another private sector, NGOs, the key stakeholder like government in order to support the education system. We announced a million dollar grant through our philanthropic art, Google.org, to work with a nonprofit organization called Bebras to help with computational thinking. We want to empower 22,000 schools over 22 cities and to give teachers the tools and the skills to enable them to provide uh, competitional teaching with certain support. So that's one example at the foundational level. Another example at the more advanced level is something that I hope a lot of your listeners have heard about is what we call Bankit. Bankit is our machine learning academy program. We work together very closely with Gojek, Tokopedia, and Traveloka. It's an amazing program, I would say. Bankit program aims to not only teach technical skills, but also provide some of the soft skills. We provide this for free. And the amazing result from the first batch was we had about half of the graduate coming from rural cities. 26% of the graduates are women, which is much higher than a typical program. I attended one of the kickoff sessions. It was amazing to see all these students super excited. There's a story. One student from Lombok take a motorcycle hours and hours by himself, all the way to attend the opening. Things like that really, really touch our heart. Now we're working closely with the Ministry of Education and Culture to scale it up to more students. The first batch, we have more than 200 students graduate. The second batch, we're going to focus on Android, mobile computing, cloud computing, AI as well as TensorFlow. And we're offering it to more than 2,000 students as part of the Campus Merdeka program of Ministry of Education. And we're super excited to see this continue to scale. Those hopefully give the audience a bit of color in terms of what our perspective is with regards to education. Definitely sounds like you're throwing both shoulders into it. Now, many of us saw President Jokowi's speech at the Google for Indonesia 2020 event several weeks back. The president referred to taking advantage of COVID to affect, quote unquote, large scale transformation and take major leaps forward. What do these statements mean to you? I believe he's calling on all sectors of the economy to recognize the need to quickly adapt to the changing dynamics of the world economy and especially on digital. President Jokowi spoke about digital infrastructure and how that can be an opportunity to open up more job opportunities. Indonesia has 64 million SMBs. SMB accounts for 90-something percent of overall employment in Indonesia, about 60% of the GDP. So SMB is critical and digital can help with that. I believe the president understands that the SMB is the backbone of the economy. And if they don't embrace digital, there's risk of falling behind. Changing mindset is not easy. That's why the president urged everybody, including the minister, to accelerate this transition towards digital, including with SMBs and different industries as well. This fits in quite nicely with some of the initiatives that we've been doing. 
We're also working closely with the tourism ministry and creative economy, where we help SMBs that are dedicated for tourism. We're working with 240 SMBs in five destinations. We help them go online through our program called Gapura Digital Program. And that's in line with the wonderful Indonesia campaign that Ministry of Tourism has. In summary, I think it's important for different sectors of the economy to embrace digital, including SMBs. Google will partner and work together to help that transformation. Makes sense. Now, Randy, one of our guests to Indotechno from the educational realm reflected pretty solemnly that COVID has served to create one big school vacation for many children due to all of the complexities of distance learning. Now, I believe we're working with the MOEC and MORA to help 45 million students and teachers make the transition to distance learning using G Suite for Education. Can you tell us more about this? Learning is something that is front and center during this pandemic, which is not a surprise. To to the point that you made on G Suite for Education, as of last year, we have more than 140 million students and educators globally using G Suite for Education to create, collaborate, and whatnot. And in Indonesia specifically, we work together closely with different ministers for the rollout of G Suite for Education. It's at a domain called atbelajar.id. Basically, we help around 45 million students with their distance learning. We work with Minister of Education with about 38 million rollout, as well as Minister of Religious Affairs with some of the madrasa with around 7 million. So total about 45 million, give or take. Basically, any student can apply for free, like an ID with a domain of ID, which is from the Ministry of Education. And with that domain, they have free access to mail, Google Classroom, Drive, elements of workspace such as Docs, Sheets, etc. Another example is our philanthropic arm again, Google.org, where we made Indala Grant working together with one of the education focus accelerator called INCO to help equip student and teacher to have access during this difficult time. To give you one story, there's a student in Kitamani, Bali called Komang Mira, a teenager. She was very worried that during this pandemic that she couldn't study online because she couldn't afford the internet package. And through our partnership with local nonprofit like Putra Sampurna Foundation, we were able to help her with internet costs as well as provide her own laptop. And now she can do all this project-based learning online. And last but certainly not least is we don't want to forget about a teacher as well, Helen, during the early part of the pandemic. We work closely with the ministry, but also with Telcomcel, Indosat, Orido, Excel, all the different telco, three smart friends, to provide free data up to 90 days for more than 10,000 teachers across Indonesia to help them have access to the internet. Hopefully that gives you a couple of examples in terms of what we've been doing with the ministers to provide the tools through G Suite for Education, to provide some grants, as well as working with other partners, such as the telcos in this case. Definitely a very clear and consistent theme. Now, Randy, one topic we've discussed on nearly all of our past Indotechno podcasts is the challenge of digital literacy, whether it is trying to explain to a Wadong owner how to register his or her business on Google Maps or instructing a small business on a new SaaS platform. I would say that it is the biggest challenge to startups in trying to gain revenue traction, whether you are B2B or B2C business model. What do you feel will be the most effective means of cultivating digital literacy in Indonesia? So digital literacy overall, with SMB being the backbone of Indonesia economy, it's critical for them to work to move towards digital. We've been working on it actually since 2015, Alan, where we first launched our program that we call Gapura Digital, which I alluded to earlier. This is our training program for digital skill training for SMB owners. And we actually have an offshoot of that called Women Will where we specifically target women entrepreneurs. Before the pandemic, we do it offline. 
We provide it for free on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday. If you're an SMB or a women entrepreneur, you can register for free and they can come together in a place and we'll have volunteers helping teach these SMB owners just the basic of going to digital. What is it? It's as simple as how to service your information online through Google Maps, for example, how to do basic marketing, whether it's using social media or using any of our platform. We teach it in a very practical manner and we use volunteers. Up to now, that program has been rolled out in 17 cities. We have trained more than 1.7 million, including more than 500,000 women. And we have a commitment to train up to 2 million. During COVID itself, we have trained you know, more than 200,000. We believe this is quite effective because we do it at scale. We facilitate it, but we also leverage volunteers so it can be communicated in a way that is very practical. Another example, since you mentioned Warung specifically, we also launched a program that we partner with Bukalapak, with called Mitra Bukalapak, to help some of these Warung Warung, make it easier for them to list their information on Google My Business or Google Business School, which then will be serviced in Google Maps, for example, and allow them to be found by different users and whatnot. Fantastic. Now, Randy, I see that Google launched cloud service in Indonesia in June of last year, which is well before other tier one competitors. Can you tell us why you chose to lead into Indonesia with cloud? Indonesia is the fastest growing digital economy in Southeast Asia, the largest 44 billion going to 124 something in 2025. We've been offering Indonesian customers cloud service for years, but officially launched around June last year. It allows us to be even closer and be able to work with the financial industry, retail manufacturing, and even state-owned enterprise, which has some other criteria as well, to also help them benefit with the digitization and the modernization of the tech infrastructures. Now, with regards to cloud specifically, we actually commissioned a study in order to understand the impact. We found that public cloud deployment can contribute around 36 billion or so GDP from 2019 to 2023. So I think the economic impact is pretty clear. And the needs are there, not only for the digital natives, but also for some of these more traditional industry. We hope whether you're a traditional enterprise, state-owned, public sector, or even a startup, you can leverage our storage, security data, AI, ML, all the benefits of cloud. And with the cloud regions, it will be even faster. It'll be more reliable and less expensive than what you would have paid if you had to build it yourself. Sounds like there's a lot of measurable benefit that offering cloud services in Indonesia brings along. Now, in the latest installment of the Google Tomasic Bain report, we mentioned that 37% of all digital service consumers were new since the onset of the pandemic. What exactly has that meant for platforms in Indonesia, Randy? The Google Tomasic Bain report is a report that we've released for several years now. I think this one was the fifth one, where we sized the digital economy. With that, we cover online media, travel, transport, delivery, as well as e-commerce. Also, in this installment, we actually augmented with a study with Kantar, and that's what you referred to. About 37% of the digital service users are new. In addition to that, we found that 9 out of 10 of the new users actually intend to continue using the digital service, even post-pandemic. So not only are they new, they're also here to stay. So what it means for platform, if you're an e-commerce platform, we saw that during this pandemic, e-commerce definitely shot up you'll see more people using e-commerce. And I think they'll continue to grow. Health tech and ed tech were some of the sectors that we also highlighted as, as sprouting up during the pandemic last year. Other things include gaming, video streaming. We have 600 YouTube channels, each with more than 1 million subscribers in different islands all over the country. Last but not least, in the context of investment, 
We also see the number of deals in the first half of last year, 2020, actually increased compared to first half of 2019. There's more than 200 deals compared to 120 in the first half of 2019. So overall, the word that we use was cautiously optimistic. We see this as an acceleration towards digitalization across many tech platforms in Indonesia. Randy, I'm stating the obvious by saying Google is the world's largest digital advertising company. Can you give us a sense of what types of digital advertising might recover most strongly this year, whether it's by form factor or by industry vertical? And are there any potential laggards? I would say it's not only about recovery, but also about transformation. On automotive, for example, the automotive industry, they have amazing events. It's basically an automotive show offline. Given the pandemic, obviously, it's a challenge to be able to do just that. So we helped them go online. And we did, for the first time, an Indonesian automotive festival together in partnership with the Automotive Association and the key automotive brands, as well as with the government. And through that initiative, we got amazing data in terms of how many leads that they get for people looking to buy cars. So in some industries, it's actually not so much about recovery. It's actually an acceleration of the transition towards digitalization, reaching your consumers through digital for some of the verticals. Now, Randy, much has been written of Google's job matching Cormo app. Can you tell us where the inspiration for that came from and what traction the app has seen in Indonesia? We launched the Cormo Jobs app back in 2019. And the inspiration is our desire to help Indonesians, especially on the informal jobs market element. And we want to service like entry-level jobs because these jobs we found were rarely posted online and there's limited structure and searchable repository of jobs for this type of role. We actually launched it also in Bangladesh and now it's also available in India. So it's available in several countries now. And what we saw is that during COVID-19, for example, we also saw the needs continue. So we expanded offerings to include essential services and logistics. We, we launched features that allow interviews to be conducted online, jobs that can be done at home and things like that. And in addition to that, we introduced new features, for example, using our research and machine learning theme. We use AI to help job seekers practice their English, soft skill training using English. For example, it enabled them to practice conversation with AI, like if a customer returning items, what should they say? We work to also partner with more SMBs. We're partnering with over 100 local SMBs, which is part of our Gapura digital training that I mentioned earlier. So we have more and more jobs and we can make it easier for these SMBs to onboard and provide jobs on Cormo app, just make the process smoother. So therefore we can have more jobs and not only jobs from the bigger companies, but also jobs from the SMBs. So those are some of the things that we have been doing with this amazing app. I love the AI-driven interview skills, features, and functions. That's very cool. Yeah, definitely. Now, Randy, what is your one greatest personal passion at this point in time? So I would say, especially during this time, I watch a lot of Star Trek Discovery stuff. I watch a lot of Mandalorian. I read a lot of books. I'm a fiction fantasy person. I'm reading this book called Rhythm of War by Star Think of it as Game of Thrones, but probably less bloody. <laughs> I'm reading some nonfiction book like The Psychology of Money. So I, I read a lot and I spend a lot of time also watching shows, Alan. Excellent. Now I have to confer with you around your science fiction reading list. It's clearly a common area of interest we have. Definitely. Really appreciate you sharing all this with us and so many fascinating Google initiatives to follow going forward. Just want to thank you so much for taking time away from what must be one of the busiest schedules in Indonesian technology to join us today. 
Thank you very much for the opportunity, Alan. It is a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Terima kasih telah mendengarkan sampai jumpa lagi. Thank you.